Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Barrett. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it is great to have you as always, and I am super excited. We're talking about a game you've probably played more than anybody in this world, KDM. I've only played a couple games of it. Oh, wait, I have, what, a 51-episode channel? I actually just got done talking to Colin. He said that compared to his Lord of the Rings playlist that he has on One Stop, this is the number one longest playthrough that they've ever had on the channel. I'm trying to rival you with Marvel Champions. Maybe not length of time, but certainly number of episodes. I'm up to uh, quite a few Marvel Champions plays, that is for sure. Playing every Friday and then probably once or twice as well during the week. So there is that. Ah, this is true. I have to admit, whenever I turn on the one-stop co-op shop stream channel, it's always doing this for Marvel Champions. I'm like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's one-stop co-op shop Marvel Champions streamed. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Thankfully, we have three or four other videos on there every week as well. So it's not just Marvel Champions. But certainly, if you like that game as much as I do, you will certainly appreciate the content, I think. So how about you, Barrett? What have you been playing lately? That's a great question. Actually, I've been working on Assassin's Creed. I got a couple new videos up on that one. I'm still really liking Folklore. I've been actually playing a little bit of that one, and it's really, really reinvigorated my love of the game by doing that third expansion with that whole uh, initiative track and all this. It really brings more depth to the way the combat works, which is really cool. And it's really about all I've been doing. I've kind of gotten together with Colin, and we're still playing through Descent. We're still really enjoying that game a lot as well. How far into that one are you? Are you? I, I hear there's like three acts, and we finished the first one for sure, and we were a decent way into the second one, but it kind of fizzled, not because we wanted it to. Actually, two of the nights I wanted to play it, Jerry didn't bring his device, and I guess that's one of the negatives. It's not like it stores it in some cloud somewhere where you could log into it and find it somewhere else. So if something happens to your device, that campaign's gone, I guess. That is kind of true. Or if your buddy keeps forgetting to bring it. <laughs> You can't play either. <laughs> this is true. Actually, believe it or not, that's the one thing that had us. We're trying to record it back. Like we're, we're actually doing playthroughs back and forth because we are playing the whole thing together. So we thought we'd do the playthroughs like alone and just kind of do it together. Or, or And so we had to actually, I had to drive over and grab his tablet and bring it over to my house to record it and then bring his tablet back to him and go back and forth like you're saying. But we haven't made it too far to chapter two yet. We are still looking to try to get together. But the few times we've gotten together, we've not had a chance to play it. We've been actually going through pandemic season one legacy or whatever with brent and monica as well so we've been having we actually just finished that is that your first time playing through pandemic legacy season one it was my first time and it was a lot of fun it was really really cool to see how that whole story develops behind the scenes it's kind of interesting how they put all that into that type of game yeah no it's still one of my favorites of all time i mean as a one-time experience and i say one-time experience but i would happily play it again even knowing what the plot twists and turns and things are i think the gameplay in that one was still good enough to warrant more plays of it and so i would have no problem going back i will warn you season two for me not nearly as good season zero is not as good but it's still pretty good i'm enjoying my season zero plays so far I've been hearing that a lot, too. And I, I, Colin, actually, this was his third time playing it with his wife. And I think to them, it was more exciting to see Brent and Maya's reaction to what was happening in the game, because they kind of already knew, of course, everything was about to happen. But it was more fun for them, I think, just to even experience it with somebody who'd never played it before. And that's, I think, why you could keep coming back to this game over and over, even if you've played it. 
Yeah, and I mean, honestly, if I was somebody who didn't own Pandemic, I would probably buy Pandemic Legacy Season 1, because you could play base Pandemic with it as much as you want, even before you start the campaign. You could probably just ignore a bunch of stuff on the board and play regular Pandemic afterward as well. So I don't think it's a useless artifact the way some of these things could become. Very true. So anything else sticking out to you lately? You said you've been playing Assassin's Creed. Let me know a little bit about that one. No, that one's not bad. It's a stealth game. You're going to see a lot of it on the stream channel actually pretty soon. The uh, duo of Steve and Kim are going to be playing through much of that one. I think it's really up his alley. You know him. He likes the V commandos. He likes the stealth kind of mechanic and eventually like the alert mechanic. And you got to try to deal with objectives even after you've rung the alarm, I guess you could say. It does do a really good job of making the game feel like Assassin's Creed. I did really feel like the assassins running around climbing towers, jumping off leaps of faith and landing in bushes and hiding yourself inside hay bales and things like that. was kind of cool. I've I've actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because stealth games really aren't my thing. So I think the theme really helps a lot. I've also been playing uh, Machina Arcana since I just got that third edition. Well, hold on. Before before you move off of that. (laughs) Hold on. Slow down, Barry. Settle down here, brother. So I'm curious. Did you play V Commandos before this? No, I've never played any V Commandos. I did. Oh, wait, no, I lied. I played, I think, the base game with Steve one night on kind of a, as just through a tabletop simulator because he wanted to show it to me. And I played it. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool. But I hadn't played much more than that. This is kind of my first entry into like a big game that's built by this company that does that kind of stealth mechanic. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I played some V Commandos and I didn't love it. But to be honest, I don't love that theme, that World War One theme. Stealth games, to me, you have to be some kind of an assassin or a ninja or something else. I don't want to be a stealth guy with a machine gun, right? Like, I, I don't know. There, there's just something weird about all that stuff. And it's just the time period I like better as well. So I think I would like the Assassin's Creed game much better than I liked V Commandos, even if it uses the exact same mechanism. Yeah, I think if that's the case, I think you would. Especially if you've ever played the video game, it really does a good job of kind of emulating a lot of what's in the video game. So that's pretty cool. Now, how can everybody be the assassin, though? That's a great question. Uh, You start, actually, you can play up to four players, and you start as apprentice assassins. And after the first mission, you kind of are elevated to assassin. Each one of the four apprentices become an actual character in the game. And they're working with Ezio, who is, I think, he's from one of the earlier Assassin's Creed games, one of the, when they were making that kind of big campaign of it, which is really cool. Is my favorite Assassin's Creed block was the original one, number two. And then they had, like, a trilogy that kind of encapsulated all this together. Then they kind of moved on to, like, Black Flag, and then, like, now they're doing the Viking one and all this. So it's not, those don't tie back to this one. This one was kind of a big block of kind of a story that was built around it. And so your assassins are in that time period. So it's kind of cool in that aspect. They're kind of behind the scenes and it's neat because I can see how they're doing it. It's behind the scenes of what would have been going on in the video game. You're kind of doing these things outside the video game that isn't really talked about. So it's kind of neat that you're doing this thing that helped Ezio defeat this person or something like you broke his pistol. So the bad guy doesn't have that pistol anymore when he fought him in the game and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. So it's tied into the video games. Now, do they explain that in the board game itself? Or would you just have to know that connection? You would have to know the connection. It just kind of says like Ezio is going to fight this guy. You'd really, we're really hoping you can help him out. If you don't know who Ezio is, then you wouldn't really know. You're just like, okay, random guy is going to fight this dude. Cool. But if you do know the video game, you kind of have that recollection. I think as I play more, that might tie in more. They might explain a little bit more of what it is, and they might explain a little bit more what you're doing in this game. Because if you don't know anything about the game, you're just really running around as these assassins doing missions. I love how you go in, you kill like 50 people just to break somebody's gun. Yeah. <laughs> That's like amazing to me. 
<laughs> like, if you're already in there, why did you just assassinate the guy whose gun you're trying to break? Like, I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> You'll have to play and find out, Peter. Yes. Yeah. It seems like the worst assassin mission ever. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> go break this gun. Oh, that's pretty good. All right, man. Well, we do have some people to thank. It's only going to be two this week because that's all Mike sent me. So uh, I don't know if we're nearing the end of a cycle or what, but we do have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash one stop. And we have a couple of supporters that we want to thank today. Today, we're thanking Ryan Espin, who's a co-op lover, and Nani Blylevin, who's a co-op fan. So Ryan and Nani, thank you so much. We appreciate all your support and everybody who supports us through likes, shares, all that kind of stuff. We appreciate it all. So if this is your first time joining us, thank you. And what we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important thing, going all the way to number one, which is the most important thing we think you need to know. But before that, I'm going to get you a little bit into the theme here. It is a fantasy-based theme. You basically wake up in this dungeon in the pitch black, and you're in this room with all these faces on the floor, and you find yourself with this giant mythical lion in this room who's attacking you, and you basically have to just pull a shard of ground off and try to fight him off with that, and then... If you defeat that first lion, you're going to build a camp and then you're going to do these one-off boss fights and then you're going to go back into a camp phase and a boss phase and a camp phase. And that's basically the theme of the game is you're just trying to survive. You're fighting bigger and badder monsters as you go along. You're going to build up your camp. You're going to build up your survivors, getting them new equipment and gear and things. And that is basically the major theme. But Baron, you want to just quickly go over the basics of the mechanics of the game? The mechanics are really just a D10 system. Everything is built on it. You're fighting, you're exploring your camp settlements, and everything is really a D10 system. It, it's pretty simplistic, but it actually is a pretty stressful and eventful game. You're rolling D10s to hit, you're going to draw, but whenever you do hit, you draw these AI, you draw hit locations, you draw AI cards, see what the monster does. So they're decks set up for each monster. You never know kind of how the monster is going to fight you at the time you go see him because there's multiple different cards you put into that AI deck. But you could kind of get an idea based on the type of monster it is, how it's going to fight. So you want to try to strategize that way. And you have to decide what you're going to bring, who you're going to bring, because you become more powerful. I guess powerful isn't the right word. You can gear up your characters, which is kind of the way you're leveling in this game more than anything else. And you're also going to gain leveling experience for your characters. I give them some extra powers, but the items and weapons you kind of carry with you are kind of the base power of your character. And you're going to fight the different monsters. If you defeat them, you get resources, you bring them back, like Peter said, to your settlement. And from there, you just kind of rinse and repeat. Sometimes you're going to have things that enter into your settlement that you have to deal with. It's called nemesis monsters that you don't even know. Sometimes you don't know when they're coming. Sometimes you do. It, again, depends kind of on die rolls and story moments that happen inside the book of story moments. So it's a really cool system. I've, I've never really experienced a game like this that incorporates so many different systems, but really just sticks to a D10. Yeah, no, that's a a good basics of it. So uh, as I said, we're going to start with our number five thing. We think the least important thing and go to our number one. And after we're done here, we're going to talk about dungeon crawls and boss battlers and adventure games. So stick forward to that discussion afterwards and like what our differences and similarities between those are and what we think makes them good and not. But let me go ahead and start with number five for KDM. My number five is that it is a hobby game. And I mean that in several ways. Number one, it is the price of a hobby game, or some people call these lifestyle games, tabletop miniature games, whatever. Now, it's not a tabletop miniature game in the fact that you're using tape measures, things like that. But 
it is still miniatures that you're going to have to assemble and very detailed assembly from what I understand as well. I did not do the assembly myself, Barrett. You could probably speak to that more. But from what I understand, it's not a entry-level miniatures assembly game. Not only that, but the price point, again, is going to be that of those hobby lifestyle games as well. And the commitment you're going to have to put in is that as well, because this is not a game you're going to do all this work to put these miniatures together, get everything ready for the game. You're not just going to play it once like we do with a lot of these play and forget games. So that's another reason I compare it to a hobby game, because really it's going to be one of those lifestyle things where you're going to want to play over and over and you're going to play every weekend. So the rules stay fresh in your mind. So the story stays fresh in your mind. So this is really a commitment game, I think, more than a lot of other games that we review on the channel. And I'll be talking about more about that probably a little bit later. Are you going to talk about the uh, miniature assembly or do you want to cover that now? Uh, it's, it's coming up on my list. Okay, never mind. All right, let's get on to your number five. What is it, Barrett? My number five actually is the theme of the game. These are things that you need to know about the game or what I kind of put down because there's a lot going on in this game that you need to know if you're going to try to pick this up because like Peter just told you, it's a pretty expensive game. Retail's 400 Sometimes you get it for 350 during Black Friday. This and So that's a pretty pricey game for a game. That's just the base game. Of course, there are expansions that you can get which are about anywhere from, I believe, 40 to $90 depending on what expansion you're getting and how much extra content is going to add to the game. So you need to be aware of these five things. One I'm talking about is theme. The theme of this game is something you need to know. It is an adult theme. This isn't one you can play really with your kids unless you're okay seeing graphic pictures in books or reading graphic things that could be happening to not only your survivors, but the monsters and other things in this game. So you need to be aware that there could be potentially there's some nudity. There's some real violent imagery of like beheadings and just things of this nature. The monsters themselves tend to be more gruesome than some other like happy-go-lucky games. And I know this turns some people away from the game. And I really think the theme is something that if you look at like the lists and board game geek like gloomhaven usually kind of sitting near the top and i think if the theme would have been more of a light-hearted game that had all this still in it it might have gone higher than that but i think it would have lost maybe some of the people that enjoy the fact that this is a dark game really really dark it, so dark to the point that when you wake up you don't know anything about this game you don't know anything that's coming unless you really want to ruin it the experience for you and read some of the things that are coming you don't and it's, that's one of the really intriguing things to me is that you don't know what's going to happen in this game as you start the game and the theme just drags you deeper and deeper into wanting to know what's happening in this dark dark world that you just are striving to survive in and I think you need to know that this theme is mature so if it's something you're interested in you can keep on listening I hope you do anyway because we got four more that might make it seem like not that bad it is a darker theme and it does have some graphic imagery yeah it's interesting this one's a little bit of a mix for me and actually my number four was i just put graphic and i put graphic violence graphic sexuality graphic models the models themselves they have pinup models right that's one of the things they originally sold the game on were these pinup characters that are wearing very skimpy clothing and i mean Honestly, this is one of the few worlds where I've seen where you have people going around fighting where skimpy clothing makes sense because you do wake up with basically nothing but rags on. So, I mean, <laughs> that thematically, at least it makes sense in this situation. You're like, oh, who would go into battle with that? Well, you don't really have a choice in this world. What I will say is it's not as bad as I originally thought it was. And with that being said, yes, there's nudity in there. Yes, there's violence and violent pictures in there. But I think it's the kind of thing where if you were holding the rule book and you didn't show every picture to your children, I think you would be fine. I think most of the monsters are fine. And again, the ones that you view or deem that you don't want your kids to see, you don't have to put it in front of them. So while I say that this is 
something to know about the game for sure. I, I think it's one of the top five points, no question. It's a little low on my list though, because I do think that it is something you can edit. Like if I read it to my children from the book, I don't have to read everything. There's enough in there without that graphic stuff that I think you'd be okay. And those pictures aren't all graphic on every page. In fact, there were fewer than I thought there would be in the rule book. I thought it was going to be like every page is like, you know, a playboy basically opening it up. And it was not that by any stretch of the imagination. You do make a good point, Peter. And uh, somebody that needs to know that when you're talking about the miniatures having these graphic depictions thing, the core box itself is actually pretty tame. The monsters you're fighting in that aren't anything that you would probably not want to have other people see. It's some of the expansions can get a little bit racy, I guess you could say, when it comes to the imagery you're seeing in it. And yeah, you're right. I think if you edit it, I think it could be okay. But it's just something, of course, people need to know. And I did put it at five. It's not like it's like the number one thing on my list. I mean, All right, cool. What's your number four, Barrett? My number four is actually what you talked about in number five, and that's the miniatures and the fact that this kind of is a hobby game. And yes, none of these are assembled. You have to assemble them. And the funny thing about this is when this game came out, he did not have an assembly guide for this. So you're just looking at these and none of them are just like, if you've ever put together like Warhammer miniatures or something, you know that the body goes to this thing. Because like there's a whole blank area where you just glue the two things together. Where the arms go, you glue them like this. No, he has sculpted these so that they fit together to hide mold lines on things of this nature. So sometimes you, I'm looking at this model going where does this even go i i can't quite figure <laughs> it out so it's just out of control he had no guide to this people eventually started putting out guides and actually putting up like pictures of how to do it for example the phoenix miniature i believe has 25 hands 25 single hands of human hands and these hands are the size less than the size of a quarter of your pinky and you have no idea where any of these 25 go and they have specific spots. So you have to, without a guide, where are you could put these little hands? So yeah. have, I had to wait till this, like get, until they actually had a build it guide come out to be able to put this thing together. So the miniatures are advanced when it comes to putting them together. And then you can paint them, which is kind of cool. And the neat thing about it is as you're going through it, you can actually assemble minis to what you have is what you get type thing. Your sprues have all the weapons that you could possibly have on your characters. It has a different armor that you could have on your characters so as you're going and you're gaining new equipment and new armor and stuff you can recreate your miniature to kind of look like who you're actually fighting which is pretty cool so not very often that happens yeah to me it's a little bit of mismatch and i said this before a, l- a little bit less of a mismatch than with marvel crisis protocol but i don't know why these games because this gameplay as you've said is pretty straightforward and pretty simplistic now there's a, a lot of commitments on other fronts to it but the gameplay itself isn't hard. Now, the, the themes are mature and we've discussed. So I do think that maybe it's not as bad here. But for, for things like Marvel Crisis Protocol, where it's a very simple, straightforward miniatures game, and, and to have such difficult models to put together, I don't understand. Like, you've got a simple, accessible game. Why don't you make the miniature simple and accessible as well? So I do think there's a little bit of a mismatch here because the mechanics are not overly complicated. And so I, I don't know why they went with overly complicated hobbying to go along with it. it, it like I said, I, I think those two things should match with your game. So push fit models or whatever else I think would have worked out better. Now, we have to remember when this game was put out, I don't know that push fit was as popular as it is now. 
Definitely not. I don't. And he, I can guarantee you that I just from the way that this company works. And another thing I should mention before we continue is we've been referring to this as KDM. In case people don't know, this is a game called Kingdom Death Monster. We actually have never said the name of the game. Did we not? Oh, man. (laughs) Just been calling it KDM. So in case people have gotten to number four already, we're talking about a game called Kingdom Death Monster by Adam Poots. uh, And his, he has actually a whole model line and everything. He, yes, when this game came out, there wasn't really really push the fit stuff and he will never go that route his all stuff is still on sprues there's some, so many games now that have pre-built miniatures that you get and yeah like you're saying i think it's because he when he was sculpting these and molding these in order to get the way he wanted these minis to look he had to make them assembled in a certain way like i said he's trying to i think hide some of the mold lines which are things you sometimes need to scrape off your miniatures to make them look really cool if you can hide some of these like where the where the mold is attaching to some of the sprues and stuff it's a lot easier to do and it actually makes the model look more fluid and i think it's sort of get some of the curves and the intricacies and the detail out of those plastic molds i think that's the reason he had to go in this route i know that who is it uh, shadows of brimstone always says that it's like we wanted to make it look as cool as we could so we had to keep we had to make keep them on sprues and things like this but yes for how simple it says they could have easily done a standee version people to love it but if he, he will never go that route either i think he said that multiple times it's never an option and if anything, if you like the game enough and you don't feel that those miniatures are that important to you, and again, I put it number four. So there's three other things that are more important to me about this game than the minis. And I'm a huge mini guy. As you can tell by all the dungeon crawlers and all the other games I play that have miniatures, and I like to paint miniatures and get miniatures on the board. You could just proxy everything and still enjoy the game. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's definitely a viable option because, I mean, they're standard size miniatures, right? Or just build one miniature. Like you said, you can customize them to match your characters, but there's no way you have to do that by any means. And I think there are probably not many people who have done that. Certainly, if you're not recording for a stream, I don't know that you would (laughs) need to do that. Very true. I mean, most people, I even some of the streamers I've seen playing this game, um, a lot of them just build those base uh, survivor miniatures in that, like, in the garb that they wake up with, and that's their guy for the whole game. Yep, absolutely. All right, so let's move on to our number three. Our number five and four were actually the same. They were just reversed in spots a little bit. Let's see if the top three do the same. So my number three is the dice in the game and the luck in the game. This is a game where you're going to roll dice and something's going to happen and you may like it and you may not like it. And guess what? It doesn't really matter. And the game is unforgiving about it. It is unapologetic about it. You could have really good luck and just kill a monster in like one or two turns. You could have really terrible luck and the, the battle can go on and on and on. So there is a lot of dice luck. If you're a person that doesn't like dice luck, I don't know that you're going to like it. But with all that being said, it's an interesting thing for me. And maybe, I mean, obviously you've played more games than me. I don't think I've ever had a session ruined by dice. Yes, sometimes it's longer and sometimes take more damage and you've had more characters killed or or maimed or whatever else. So that kind of stuff happens. But I feel like it's always a nice, tight, close ending. I always feel like you're progressing. I feel like you're moving on. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be times where we just lose all four survivors. We haven't had that happen yet. But even with as swingy as a lot of the roles seem to be, and even as tough as some of these monsters seem to be, we just keep progressing forward and we keep beating the monsters. I mean, again, I think the amount of beating you take in response is what's going to vary from game to game. But the game does still seem to progress. So even though it's swingy and there's a lot of dice luck involved, I still feel like the game pushes you forward and it's not frustrating kind of swingy to me, at least anyway. 
I actually agree with you. I'm I'm surprised at having a 51 video series on this. The I've always found that the dice in the end usually balance out enough to really make it an enjoyable experience. You're going to get that one and you're going to see, oh my gosh, femoral artery time, my guy's super dead. But then you're going to get, of course, the 10, which is exactly what you need to hit at this certain point. So I've found that in every battle I've done, sure, like you said, there've been some that have swung one way or the other way. There's never really been battles where I felt like, well, I can't believe the dice were that bad to me or in something in the settlement where the dice are just so bad right now. This is unbelievable. I think there's enough in there that I've noticed they seem to, believe it or not, kind of balance yourself out. And like you said, I've, you do always keep going forward, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And just so you know, the way combat works is you basically have a two hit roll and you have a two wound roll. So you're basically rolling to see if you hit the monster and then you're rolling to see if you wound them. And your stats and your weapons will modify those numbers a little bit and how skilled you are at using those weapons will modify that. And you'll level up as the game goes on and you'll get better at better at hitting things. And then the target numbers for you to hit will get higher and higher as well. So uh, that progresses as the game goes on. So you're having two rolls to hit and wound. The enemy really only has one. They only hit you, and then they roll to see what location they hit you. So these are kind of neat custom D6s that determine where they hit you. And if you have armor there, you just absorb it in the armor. You can also dodge. So there are different things you can do to modify it. But it's a pretty simple, quick system. It's like, all right, on your turn, you're going to move, and you can do one action. So I'm going to move somewhere. And I'm going to do an attack nine times out of 10. So I'm going to move somewhere. I'm going to do an attack roll. If I hit, I roll to see if I wound. If I do, we kind of see what happens. So as simple as that sounds, you are making a lot of fun decisions throughout the game as well. And I mean, we'll get into that in final thoughts, but the dice play a role, but not as big a role as I thought they would originally, even though sometimes it feels like it's a lot of dice. True. All right. You're number three. The third thing you need to know about this game if you decide you want to play it is you have to know what kind of game this is. You have to know what this game is about. This game, to me, when people say, hey, what is Kingdom Death Monster? Can you tell me what that game is? I always say, it's a boss-battling Civ builder. And people go, really? I go, yeah, but you've got these four survivors that go out and fight these things. They don't matter. They honestly don't matter in this game. The only thing they're there to do is beat the boss and bring back things for the civilization. The thing that, like we're Peter's saying, these dice go back and forth, but we kind of always seem like we're progressing forward. And that's because the progression in this game is built on your civilization and what it is able to do and how it's able to grow. If that civilization ever goes to zero, that's a game over. So you need to make sure that the civilization is going strong and it keeps on moving forward. And if you go into this game thinking, oh, I'm going to make myself as one of the survivors, I'm going to become super good, I'm going to have a sword, I'm going to be the <laughs> best person ever, I'm going to go fight this white lion, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to attack, oh, I missed, what's he going to do? Oh, he just bit my head off. Well, that's this is a terrible game, I hate this game. You can't <laughs> yes. be doing that. <laughs> it's just not that kind of game. It's interesting you describe it as a boss battler. Yes, of course. I've heard that a lot. And I am one of the first boss battlers at that. But the civilization part, yes, I definitely see it after you've mentioned it and after playing it, you're building up your towns. But a lot of adventure games have that, but not in the way this one does. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of put that in there. I, I talk a little bit more about this later on. That's a very interesting way to describe it. And you're right. Don't get attached to any of your characters. That's for sure. That's not what you're leveling up here. You're leveling up your civilization. You're leveling up your equipment. But all your characters can use the equipment, not just Johnny No Hands. Because <laughs> you might lose both of your hands. It just might happen. This is very true. And if you have to bring Johnny No Hands to the battle, it's going to be a real big, long, or it's going to be a pretty short battle, I should say. This poor guy's going to go. Well, yeah, that's a, they have fist and tooth. So it might just be tooth for Johnny No Hands. 
But on the flip side, your characters do actually do stuff. And I, I know I just mentioned, like, they mean nothing. They actually do. And you do gain experience towards these characters. But I think more or less what you should do is just not get attached to them. And they're going to get fighting arts that are going to make certain parts of them better. They're going to get weapon specializations where they fight better with certain weapons. But, of course, these characters are going to die or they're going to, like Peter said, Johnny No Arms all of a sudden, who his, both his arms got ripped off fighting a monster. Now his, his, he doesn't have – he's pretty much worthless except he wants to bite something. So I don't want to make it seem like the characters you're using – don't mean anything they do mean something but the main focus of the game as you're going forward is you want to make sure that civilization lives and you're going to be able to make it grow by using innovation decks you're going to be able to un- unlock different parts different people being able to c- create more equipment for you and like peter said anybody can use anything you have a gear grid that can hold nine different things and you're going to kind of link them based on colors that are going to give you extra bonuses based on what kind of items you link together so they do have that kind of puzzly aspect going on is how you want to build up your characters so there is a lot of really interesting mechanics going on just in that civilization, which is why I always say I always tack that on as a boss battling civ builder. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. My number two is the stories in this game. And and I mean a lot by that, actually. It's not a linear story. I mean, there might be a beginning, middle, end. I haven't even gotten through a full campaign myself. We're pretty far in, but there's a lot of play to this game. There is a lot more than just one-off missions, but there's always a story that comes out of it. Like I said, Johnny No Hands. I mean, your guy, you know, your best fighter loses their arm or something like that. You know, there, there's these stories, not only these stories that the game tells you, and the game does tell you stories. Like you find out, like very beginning, again, you find out how your civilization starts and you go through it. There's even different campaigns where your civilization progresses differently through the different campaigns. You discover things and every time you discover something new or at least like big things like how to build a house or how to procreate things like that you get to decide what you believe when somebody dies you get to decide how your civilization evolves and there's all these different stories that you hear about this and choices you're making through this progression that also build your civilization are they going to be a warlike civilization are they going to be more herbalists or whatever else you know all these things that you wouldn't think would be in a game like this are in it it's not just hacking and slashing, even though at the end of the day, that's kind of what people see it as and people what remember it for. But if you've played this game and played through it, that's not what you're going to remember for. You're going to remember it as a game where you are just, there's different stories that come through, not only the game is telling you, but that you are going to remember from your plays of the game. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's, the, and I think every aspect of the game does bring out those moments where you're going to kind of learn a little bit about the what this whole world is, which I think is one of the things that really makes this game unique. Is it doesn't tell you like, oh, okay, you're like, and most dungeon crawlers or story games, like, well, you wake up in the town of such and such, and you're going to have to go fight the orcs over in this area. Okay, we're going to go fight the orcs in this area, and we're going to meet with the king of this. But no, you wake up again, like we said, you don't know anything, and as you're playing through this, you're going to go on hunts and. You're going to have to roll randomly in this table. And you'll listen, you might come across this like blacksmith in the middle of nowhere, just like hammering on something, but you can't get near him because you don't have enough courage to go and approach him. Or and then you, maybe you're walking along and all of a sudden the faces all turn a different direction. Your kind of characters start falling off the edge of the world. You don't know why or how, but this just, the world itself is, you're, you're learning about it through the different things that happen through the game. And it could be a completely different experience or different stories that somebody else gets, even though you usually get some of the same milestones, some of the way you get to these milestones is a different journey usually every time you play. 
Well, and it's interesting, too, because we had situations the first game we played, like our characters got reversed somehow. And you basically had to take your character name that you had written for your character and reverse all the letters of the name to create a new name for your character. And it just did this weird, fun gameplay effects as well. And you remember that, right? You look at your character now and they've got a new name or a new last name or whatever else it tells you to do to this character. And that creates and reminds you of those stories that you had in the game. So it does a real good job of not only telling you stories, but kind of reminding you because you're going to remember you see your best fighter and he no longer has a his dominant arm. You're going to remember that. And you're going to remember when it happened. You're going to remember why it happened. So it just creates moments better than almost any game I've ever played. All right, Barrett, what's your number two? My number two, we've kind of covered a little bit. I almost just pretty much talked about it a little while ago, and that's replayability. This game can be played many, many, many times, and you're going to have a different experience every time you play it. You have different choices when you start your civilization. Like Peter had mentioned before, do you want to bury your dead? Do you want to eat your dead? Do you want to, uh, when you have kids, do you want them to be survival of the fittest, or do you want to nurture your young? And all these are going to have gameplay effects as you go down. There's an innovation deck that you're going to be drawing cards from, and that's going to be kind of your advancements in your civilization. But those are random to a point. And once you pick, then you stick different ones in there. So you're going to have so many different ways of being in different trees you could go down as you're playing. And you could fight different monsters if you get some of the expansions. Even in the base game alone, though, I think there's enough there to continue playing many different times and really have a great enjoyment of it. Even again, you're only fighting three different monsters that you can collect resources from. But then they have all these little nemesis monsters you have to fight as well. And they fight differently than everything. But once you kind of see how they fight, you have an idea. And interestingly enough, when you get to the end, the campaign certain things happen that even allow you to do it again and play again and i'm not going to say anything about those but it does actually give you the ability to play again and gives you a reason to play again which is really cool even though this game is an epically long game it still drives you want the drive to play again is there and the what happens is going to be different every time even though it's a d10 system like we've been saying there's so much that happens in this game Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Barrett. I think we're starting to get to the gushing point of the review here. Even though we said a lot of things, we haven't gotten to our number one points yet. And for me, it's the campaign. And it's a little bit like the hobby game thing. But what I really mean here is this is not a one-off game. I don't know that I would enjoy this game as a one-off game. I don't know that any singular game would mean anything to me, especially going back to that number two point of learning stories and telling stories. I don't know that any of those stories would stick with you if you weren't going through and continuing through with those characters. It compares very favorably to a game of mine that was my favorite game for a very long time, which is Blood Bowl. And no other game has really done this or made me feel this way. But in Blood Bowl, I would do things sometimes in a game, not for that game itself, but for the long-term benefits. And characters would get better, but they'd also get worse in Blood Bowl as well. They could die off and you get attached to these characters and they have changes. In no other game have I felt that way beside this game in Blood Bowl. Like, it reminds me so much of that in the campaign play. And so I almost feel like neither of these games are good one-off games. I mean, I guess they're fine for one-off, but the real joy of them and the real benefit of these games and the real reason you'd want to play them is to keep coming back over and over and over to them. So for me, the campaign is by far the best thing about this game. I love that your characters are going to get better. I love that your characters are going to get worse. I love that your characters are going to die and you're going to need to start all over again with different characters, but you get to keep all your gear, right? And that's what Barrett was trying to say earlier. Most of the leveling of the game is the gear you're getting. It's, it's leveling up that encampment. So Individual characters don't matter as much. So if you lose your best fighter, yes, it stings a little bit, 
but you still get all their equipment and gear and you'll be surprised at how well you fight that next battle as well. So that for me, I don't know why it's such a viscerally positive response from me because some people would hate, oh, my best character lost their arm or died or whatever else. Some people hate that. For me, I really like it. And I think it's because you still don't lose the progression for your rest of your campaign and Blood Bowl is very similar. You could lose your best player but then you still have a other bunch of players and they all have their own individual stories. So every character is going to die or get maimed or whatever else, but you still have more sitting there in the wings waiting around. And you know, those characters are still progressing as well. For me, I just love how teams get better and worse and you decide to take certain teams for certain missions. But as a team, you're always progressing forward. Very true. And that's a, it's a good thing to think. Now, my number one is something we've kind of talked about, but I just want to label it now. I want to label it epic moments. And that's what this game is. It's the number one thing on my list. It's epic moments. You talk to any person who has played Kingdom Death, even only up to five, five like lantern years, they call them five years. And you ask that person, hey, what do you think of Kingdom Death? Oh, it's kind of cool. Everything's, I really like the way this thing is. Oh, I got to tell you about what happened when I fought them. Everybody has that moment. Everybody has at least one moment in this game that you can tell somebody about the game because it was super cool to you that this happened. Like, And it's that epic moment that you keep coming back for. And you're going to have more and more of these as you keep playing the game. And this game is full of epic moments. We've had one ourselves that was amazing. I don't think Peter's... <laughs> I, he, Peter was introduced to epic moments a little while ago on our last stream. And he's had other epic moments already in this game too. And I've had an amazing amount of them as well. And they are both good and bad. I've had an epic moment where I'm going into a fight against the Phoenix with one character because I had these and I was fighting so hard and everything to this and it's something I'll remember forever I almost had the phoenix down and finally killed me I was like oh no that was epic my guy went in there it did it did their best one-on-one with the phoenix but failed and like we had one just a while ago against the same monster of phoenix so we've had one I've had ones against butchers where I right at the very end I had two people dead I had no more survival left to do anything and all of a sudden one card came up and I was able to behead him and that was the end of him I'm like oh my gosh that was an amazing way to end this battle so Epic moments are what makes this game. Well, one of our streams, you're right. The other day, we just had one Mm -hmm. where every character was basically knocked out of the game, except for one whose weapon broke, trying to hurt the monster. I think we did have a second character as well. Nope, we're down to one monster. We're down to one character, and you had to roll and hit twice and wound twice, and you did it. And we'd been failing all night long, yes. just complete failures. And the weapon, bro- his weapon broke earlier, and so the character was just sitting there with nothing, no chance, no survival, but ended up pulling it out. It, it does. It creates these story moments. That was my number two. I really thought about making it my number one, but the campaign for me, I, I just love that. I, I love that it isn't a one-off game, how mm-hmm. it is progressive and how you are moving forward. And even if you have a bad mission, you're still going to go forward. You're still going to get new gear. You're still going to get new upgrades. But yes, the stories were so close for me. So it's funny. I think we had a lot of the same points on the list, even if they were in different spaces. And for some games, they're very simple and straightforward. So it would be obvious, like there's only really five things to talk about this game. It's interesting, as sprawling as this game is, that we still kind of came to the same consensus and the same things to make this shine for us. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty funny how that all worked out. But Barrett, I mean, we've been glowing this review. Uh, final thoughts time. <laughs> this is a great game. You should go get it right out. <laughs> I mean, it really is. 
this game is something you have to experience. There's no doubt about it. I, it's sadly hard to get a hold of, but there are tons. And this is probably, I wouldn't, I would say it's one of probably the most streamed or like recorded games out there. You could find hundreds of playthroughs of this game. And it, uh, that's actually a draw to a lot of people. They might not be able to afford it, so they can watch it on YouTube or watch it streamed on Twitch or something like that. And I think people, a lot of people like to watch it because, again, it, it's hard to get a hold of it. $350 even on sale is a lot for a game when you could buy Pandemic for $25. And not to mention, putting together these miniatures, there's a lot of time and commitment into this game, but it's it's amazing. I, I'm super glad that I backed the original game on Kickstarter when I first read about it. I was like, this game sounds really cool. And he kind of just put a little blurb about it and people backed it. And that was kind of how this all started for him. And so now it's just growing into this like legacy. He's got so much more coming for this game, but you do need the core game. And then after that, you can branch out and get some expansions. But I do really like this game. I can't get enough of it. I will play it anytime somebody says, hey, you want to play Kingdom Death Monster with us? Hey, do you want to come on our stream and play Kingdom Death Monster? Yeah, I'd do that. That'd be great. So yes, I can't get enough. Fantastic game. I would play it again in a heartbeat anytime. So it's your number one game of all time, right? It really is. I think it was my number one when we did our top games of all time, I think. And I still to this day, I can't think of too many games that beat it for what it has in it, for what you get. Yeah. I mean, it's not my number one, but it's really good. It is certainly my favorite boss battler, and I'm never going to turn down a game of it. So saying it's not my number one, it's still going to be certainly top 20, maybe top 10. There's a lot of good co-op games out there, so it's not my top one, but it's it's up there for me. I mean, that that says a lot. It wasn't even on my list when we did our top 100 games because I hadn't played it before. And honestly, I haven't played this one live. This is one I don't have a copy of. Nobody in my groups. Mike did have a copy for a while and sold it for some reason without us ever having a chance to play it. So I've only played it on TTS, and the TTS mod's great. Now, again, we don't encourage people to play games they don't own on TTS because you own it. I feel good playing it with you. But it's so much fun. I definitely recommend, look, if you've listened all the way through this review, you're going to know whether it's a game for you or not. I think if it sounds like you're going to like it, you're going to like it. I think if it sounds like you would hate something like this, the the dice, the randomness would just drive you crazy and you're not willing to commit time to play multiple games, I think it's not a game for you. So I think for a very specific audience, and I think that's why it gets these like number one ratings and everybody else is like very low on it. Because I don't think it's a game for everybody. But I think if you think it's for you, then it probably is from what you've heard today. That, that, you, you, you have made the points, man. You have made the good points. There's nothing more I really need to say. It's like you said, if it's, it's either for you or it's not for you. This, I think that is very, very true. This, is, this game can be kind of polarizing to people. I do know there's people, I, I, I know, for example, Colin would really like to play this, but he knows the theme is probably not something he would really ever enjoy. So he's waiting for other games that can capture this game concept to play outside of this type of theme. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, well, let's talk about your favorite genre of things, dungeon crawlers, boss battlers, adventure games. So how would you stratify? Is that a word, stratify? Stratify. I think it's something about clouds, isn't it? (laughs) It's somewhere in the stratosphere. (laughs) I think that is. That's stratosphere. How would you stratify these three different categories? Like what separates them for you? Because I know Mike and I have had this discussion slash debate before, but for you, what's the defining characteristic of each of these three things? 
Okay, so your boss battle is very similar to what we just talked about, Kingdom Death. You've got the one monster, you take all your resources you have, and you go against that monster, trying to do your best, try to defeat him. Your dungeon crawler is you have a specific objective you have to get to, and you're slowly losing resources trying to get to it, because you're fighting these potentially smaller monsters that maybe do one point of damage, two points of damage as you're going, and you might find you get to the end and you don't have your dagger anymore because you threw it at a monster, so you're slowly losing your resources until you get to that final objective that you have to complete for that mission of the dungeon crawler and a lot of times getting better too right you're not only losing resources sometimes you're finding treasure chefs with swords and stuff like that in it right very true and that that was going to be kind of as once you get to the objective you're going to find out if you've actually then you'll get better to be able to move on farther in, in the game but it's it's not just a single battle you're not bringing everything to the fight you're losing or gaining things like you said on the way to your final objective which doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a boss or like a monster at the end it could be like just getting out it could be getting out of this dungeon so whatever your objective is and then you've got your adventure games that's not focused as much on trying to defeat monsters and things it's more focused on your journey such games as seventh continent uh sleeping gods sure there's combat in it kind of well definitely not so seventh continent really doesn't have too much combat but sleeping gods did and even the new role player adventure game that we just started playing those adventure type games it's not focused on fighting monsters and leveling up in that sort of way. It's more... Well, not necessarily, right? It could, though. It could. Because one I'm thinking of is Runebound. I would consider that an adventure game, wouldn't you? And that's literally all about fighting, for the most part. I've never played Runebound. But, I mean, you could also say Mage Knight's an adventure game, too, if you wanted to. That's another way to go. I mean, Mage Knight can be an adventure game, and people categorize that as an adventure game. Some people think it's a deck-building game. That kind of game is one of those, again, games that kind of fills a lot of different holes. But if you're pigeonholing certain games, like, for example, Seventh Continent, that can't be anything but an adventure game. Of course. And I think there's gray area in some of these definitions as well. Oh, for sure. For dungeon crawls, I would say you'd have to be inside something, underground, whatever else. I I think for me, that's what separates it from an adventure game. For sure. Certainly some adventure games have different feels to them, but like Journeys in Middle Earth, I would say is more of an adventure game, even though it's very combat-y. It does a lot of things very similar to even Descent, which I would consider a dungeon crawl. But because it's an overland adventure, because it's on a bigger scale, it's not just this one dungeon. That's, for me, where I draw the line. That's a good point. I like that idea of it having more of a smaller scale, where your dungeon is your deal, as opposed to like an overworld adventure, like you're saying, Lord of the Rings, or um, even like I've been playing a lot of folklore lately, really enjoying that. Again, I would think of that, it's that's a tough one, because they call it an RPG in a box, and that's going to be one of those ones that hits a gray area, because there's combat in the game, but there's also this epic story that you're traveling around this world, exploring and uncovering as you're going, so that would be an adventure game. And another tough one for me is Too Many Bones. What's that? Too many bones. What's that? That's a game that only Mike plays because no one else likes it. <laughs> oh, I forgot you hated too many bones. I was never. I tried that. I honestly, Peter, I gave that the biggest shot I possibly could. I even sat that down in front of my play group and we played through the entire campaign, gaining scars and everything along the way. And by about three fourths of the way through that campaign, we all had like four or five scars and all these things going on. And every time we played it, it was a walk in the park. We never had an issue. We're like, there's no challenge. There's no contest. I mean, 
mean, even we tried random trees that we didn't think would do very well. And I just found absolutely no reason to play that game because I didn't feel. Are you thinking of the same game? Yeah. Too many bones? Chip yeah. Theory games? Yeah. I am. I what am. What cards are you talking about? What campaign choices are you talking about? When 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 you play through that campaign, as you whenever you're able to complete one of the missions in a campaign, you gain a scar towards your character, and you put the scar out there, and it covers up a certain die area that you can't put a die in now, so you can't ever learn that ability because you've exhausted like you're exhausted from going through these different missions and each it's like goes through about like four or five different bosses or something and it has this oh whole wow track. I, yeah. yeah i've never played that much. oh yeah it's like it was the thing that came with the one in the water where they had the water one i forget which one undertow, okay yeah undertow that part of that was the 40 days of drungor and something else a uh, tyranny or something and the that one of those was the campaign and the other one added a whole bunch of intro scenarios to it. So you didn't have to keep playing the same one over and over and over and over and over. And the campaign yes. we even played through because that's what I was really waiting for. And it just didn't click for me. Got it. I, I was able to sell off the trove chest. I actually did manage to lift it and put it into a box and <laughs> put it on its merry way. <laughs> and paid $700 in shipping. I did. I, yes, I did. I, I, it was, it was quite, <laughs> a, quite a bit to ship that thing out. But yes, that's that could be an adventure game. But you're going after a boss. But it's a boss battler too, right? Because yeah. at the end you're fighting a boss. No, you're well, not fighting a boss. You're one-shotting the boss. That's what you're doing at the end of that game. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your experiences are very different than mine. I have not had such good luck with that game. I don't know. Maybe I'm just terrible at the game. But I have not had the same experience as Baron. So uh, your, your mileage may vary on that one. But I guess it's not a boss battler at the end. Because dungeon crawls have bosses at the end. Yeah. Adventure games have bosses at the end. So why would a boss battler, I think you're right, is very specifically one boss. Although I'd like to expand it a little bit. Because I think the boss could have guards and things like that as well. Sure. And I would still consider it a boss battler. So for example, in KDM, Kingdom Death Monster, which we reviewed today... We played against Spidiculus. They have little spiders that comes along with Spidiculus or Spidiculies. And so there is that. So I don't think it just has to be a boss, but I think the central mechanic has to be just fighting that one boss or taking down one boss. And it's just boss fight after boss fight after boss fight. It's really just bringing all your resources to a battle. And once the battle's over, you move to the next part of the game. That would be kind of what a boss battler is, is I think really, that's really what it encompasses. So I know there's new ones coming out soon. I Well, maybe not soon. What is it? The Odyssey one? Aeon's Odyssey or something? It's coming? Primal is another one. Yep. We've definitely previewed that on the stream mm-hmm. channel and on the main channel. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot more of those coming out than have come out in the past. I mean, even games like Testament, which is a card game, and I would even say Aeon's End, Mm -hmm. which is a deck building card game, is definitely very much a boss battler. Very true. I would definitely categorize that a boss, deck building boss battler for sure, if you had to use two words. Oh, look at you. See, I like how you're putting stuff together. So KDM is a boss battler with a a civilization style leveling up your city kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. See, Peter, you've got to start putting words together, especially when you own like 10 dungeon crawlers that are like your favorite. You've got to like be able to put more words with them instead of saying, oh, this is dungeon crawler one, this is dungeon crawler two, this is dungeon crawler three. You got to say, this is a (laughs) boss battling dungeon crawler with civ elements. Like that's what you got to say. (laughs) And this one over here is a horror dungeon crawler with a Cthulhu aspect to it. Because that's actually one thing about... You're my- talking about Cthulhu Death May Die, aren't you? No, Machina Arcana. I don't actually... I don't own Cthulhu Death May Die. Have you played that one? Yeah, I played it a few times. It's fun. I, again, one of my problems is I'm not a big on one-offs when it comes to those type of to dungeon crawlers. So Yeah, and that one definitely is That one is a straight one-off. one-off. I mean, even Deep Madness, is that the name of the game? It's one-off. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Of, they kind of tie them together. You could potentially tie them together. No, it's a, that's a one-off game as well. And, and that's why I like that 
that one so much. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can play any of those standalone, but I'd always, I always like starting at the beginning and going all the way through it. And kind of, I feel it kind of loosely works together, but yeah, you're not leveling up your guys moving forward like you would in a typical dungeon crawler. Kind of like Nemesis. Nemesis is always just a one-off type deal too. So these are clearly your favorite kind of games. So what is it about them that keeps bringing you back and make you want to explore even new ones, even though you have so many of them already? What is your favorite part of Dungeon Crawls, Adventure Games, Boss Battlers, whichever one your favorite is? Or tell me a little bit about why you like each of them. I really think the thing that brings me back to these and I want to experience them is the story that goes along with them. And that's, I think, one reason I shy away from the one-shots because I want the story that I can remember as I'm going forward. Like you're saying, it's Kingdom Death Monster. That campaign itself is amazing. And you have to play the whole you can't just one shot that it's not going to work it's the same with like something like Madara it the story that goes along with that game is just an amazing experience in itself that the game is something that just adds to what that game can do and so all these other ones even Machina Arcana which is technically one-offs they kind of loosely work together Bloodborne same type of deal they kind of loosely kind of go together because you can remember from the game fighting these different monsters and going through it uh, if you ever played the game uh, I think the story that comes with these games is what really drives me to them. And every one of these dungeon crawlers or boss battlers or adventure games that I have has something that when I read about it, it piqued my interest because I don't have it. There's a mechanic in there I don't have. And that's what's something that also I need to have. I need to have something that I haven't really seen in that type of game yet that I want to try. Now, the rest of the game I could find in something else. For example, Dungeon Alliance. I haven't played a game like that that, that's, that has that much of puzzliness to it as a dungeon crawler. You're looking at something, again, Machina Arcana, the difficulty of that and the theme of it I don't have in any other dungeon crawler. The list keeps going. Madara, the story in that is unbelievable. The character development and what you can do in that game I don't have in any other dungeon crawler. So that's my question. Is it the story itself or the story of your characters and the progression of your characters that bring you back or both? Both. It's really, I think, both. It depends on the dungeon crawler. I'm really starting to become a fan of dungeon crawlers that have named characters instead of just your paladin your name your paladin well then when you're playing the story and you're in you're reading about kind of how this character develops it's not really a character it's just adventure your adventure goes through these and it's like well it's kind of removing me from kind of the story that's being created around them and i'd rather have those named characters in the story to like kind of understand and learn about these characters like they did in the new one that descent game those are all named characters and as you're going through it and listening to and reading to or actually reading about all the different things happening to them you can then realize who these kind of characters are and how they develop and i think that's kind of cool and the stories that go behind these characters are one of the things i really like mike and i talked about this and i think there's another way to do it and i don't know if you've seen this before but it's what we're trying to do for our dungeon crawl game that's not going to be out for another year at least so don't go looking for it now but uh, (laughs) we're we're trying to because i think there's a couple different ways you can go, right? You can either name your characters yourself. So you become that character, you're embodying that character. And those tend to be more open world where you can kind of choose your path and you might have different paths and things like that. I think a lot of times when they give you a named character, it's because they're trying to tell a story. And for me, I like that better too. I like games that are a little bit more on rails that way. Now it's funny because we're talking about KDM and both of us love KDM and maybe even our top dungeon crawl. And it does not have that at all. You're definitely naming all your characters and going different ways. The thing that brings me back over and over to a lot of these dungeon crawl games is I want to find out what happens next in that story. And I want to find out what happens next to my characters and definitely naming those characters and being able to tell that character's story and that character having their own personality is a fun way to bring you into that. But the way Mike and I are looking at it and and potentially doing it is you are not necessarily a named character, but there are named characters in the game and you're coming back to find out more about their story and you are assisting them. You're still the heroes of the game, but 
you still have these characters and the story is being told through and around these other characters that are surrounding you and you care about them and their personalities going forward while you can still have your own personality. So I think at least I'm hoping it's kind of best of both worlds, but I don't know. I, I think there are multiple ways to go about th- that storytelling element for yeah, sure. I think I'm excited to try that out. I mean, just sitting here at my table right now, I'm actually looking at my Dungeons and Dragons stuff all over the table because we had our, we had a group over yesterday for Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't cleaned it up yet, but that goes almost, and that's, I think where a lot of these dungeon crawlers stemmed from was trying to create that role-playing experience inside a tabletop game, which is, and they've gone, they've tried many different ways of doing it. And I think they've hit the nail on the head to certain groups. I mean, our group here, yeah, we have, they really, some people when they play, like for example, Dungeons and Dragons, they have like their character, but they don't really embody their character. They just kind of move them around and talk and do stuff with them. And you have other people that really role play those characters and really enjoy it. So I think every dungeon crawler that's out there has a way of making a character something and just being able to add them into their story, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think a hint for game designers from what I'm getting from this discussion is make sure that if you are making a campaign game, make that story interesting, make the leveling system interesting and make it different. We already have Gloomhaven. We already have KDM. We don't need exactly that same game. Make something that makes it stand out from the rest of the games. And, it can, you know, it could just be one thing, right? Because a lot of these systems, it's you're going around, you're killing monsters, you're looting, you're doing whatever. But find a way to make that interesting and find that a way to make it unique. You want enough familiarity in there that people know what they're getting into, but you also want to try to make it unique enough that there's a reason to buy it above and beyond all these other games that are already out there on the market. Very true. All right, Barrett. Well, good discussion today. Thanks for joining me. KDM, if you think it sounds good, try it, I would say. Again, I think it's very going to be very polarizing. I think it's going to be a love it or hate it game. And I think you'll probably be able to know either from watching a game or two. Well, I can't even say that because in all honesty, I heard about it. I watched a game and I was like, oh, I don't get what all the hype is. You almost have to be there yourself. I would say for me, it is better at two than at more player count because you're always controlling four characters. And like we said, your characters do die. So for me, I think KDM at two is probably the ideal number. Solo, I'm sure would be fine too, but I think two is probably ideal. I agree with you, Peter. I think this game is something that I th- would really hope that everybody gets a chance to experience if it's still if it's something they really think is up their alley. And dungeon crawlers in general are a great way to enjoy times with people, usually in a co-op atmosphere, which is why they work so well for me. I'm not actually going against people normally unless you're playing was it Arcadia Quest, then you're going against people. That's 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 not fun. I've tried that game. We played a lot of it actually, and it just it, it eventually started to not be fun. And so we because we started realizing like we've started min-maxing our characters and it just it just became just like we almost were yelling at each other at one point like i'm done with this game done with games like this we're going co-op dungeon crawlers because i don't want to lose friends so it's it's a great way to be able to meet people and play with people because you're all going to have a great story to tell when you're done playing any type of game like this Cool. Well, Barrett, great having you on as always. It's always fun to play with you, KDM. Definitely check out our streams. We do them live on Sundays. It's not every Sunday. It's definitely something that, I mean, it's it's all my fault. Barrett's like, when are we playing again? When are we playing again? And I just, <laughs> my schedule is crazy. So I would love to play more. I haven't gotten to play as much as I want to, especially now with the holidays, but we'll get back to it soon. And it's always fun playing with you, man. The stories from that game are, have been epic for sure. They are. They're fantastic. Peter, it's always a pleasure to be here. Always awesome to talk with you. I always have a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, Barrett. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Or maybe we shouldn't put that in there at all. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. That's 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 comedy gold there, Barrett. That's 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 your best contribution yet tonight. Oh fantastic. <laughs> hey Barrett. Hey, Peter. There's faces on the floor. Just grab one and strike it. Just grab one and strike it. Go for the jugular. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look. It's one hand Johnny. (laughs) One hand Peter at this point, apparently. (laughs)